You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos. I hate calling myself that. And underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hello and welcome to another episode of Delirious Nomads. We are really, really getting into this. Every week is getting more fun. We've had a lot of great metal musicians on. We had Josh Barnett, a legendary MMA fighter. So I have to tell you, if you are if you are a fan of this podcast, let your friends know because we have a list of guests coming up that is just insane. We are so excited and thrilled with some of the some of the guests that we have coming on. Uh, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we are thrilled about our guest that we have today, which is uh, we're going to discuss another interest of mine, and uh, that's a big interest in both the metal and chef and kitchen communities, and that's tattoos. This is my good friend, Paul Timmon, tattoo artist to the stars. He's, he's tattooed a lot of rock stars. I'm sure we'll get into that. Uh, when I met him, he was at Sunset Strip Tattoo um, in LA. I guess, you know what? We'll just get into it as an organic conversation. Paul, thank you for being uh, here. Matt and I are psyched to talk to you. Welcome to Delirious Nomads. Thank you for having me. It's funny because when I saw your um, Instagram post about your podcast with Johnny Tempesta, and it reminded me I actually needed to get in touch with him and talk to him to get in connection with another buddy of his. And I thought, man, I should hit up Chris about possibly doing his podcast because I think I have some really great stories about all the rock and roll guys throughout the years that have been through the doors at Sunset Strip Tattoo. And then just the hours and and nights I've spent with those guys out on tour and or at concerts and or at their house and parties and the things I've seen would be, I thought it would be great for a podcast. So I'm, I'm very excited to be here and super, uh, super happy you guys had me on. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I, I, you know, I was, you and I have become friends. I mean, so I think how we met was most of the tattoos on my body, although this is changing the more I live in LA and I'm close to you, but most of the tattoos were done by Michelle Miles at Daredevil Tattoo in New York City. Um, and, but you would come in every May for the tattoo convention 
and um, Michelle introduced us, I think, or I'm not sure. Um, and, uh, you know, we, you started coming to my restaurant every May um, at Stanton Social. And now I see you fairly regularly, whether you're coming to the restaurant or coming to your shop, which, by the way, we have two tattoos that we've talked about that we really got to get moving on. So I remember 100 percent of meeting you as I went to visit Michelle at Daredevil Tattoo for the New York City Tattoo Convention. And I said, listen, it was a Thursday night. I'll never forget it. We just flew in. We got in that afternoon. And I said, listen, I'm in New York for the first time in my life. And I want to eat this New York food that I keep hearing about. Where oh, is something really good that's going to hit the spot? And she goes, oh, perfect. I got the spot. I'm like, where is it? She's like, right around the corner. Let me call it in. Because if I didn't call it in, you would never even get into this restaurant. And I was like, I'm sold. Like, that's all you got to say. So, of course, we roll literally 20 yards, you know, north or south, and then 20 yards east or west, and we're at the Stanton Social front door. South and west, yep. Yeah, south and west. And so, I, I, I mean, it was it's a stone's throw away. And so we roll in. They seat us upstairs. I still have no clue where I'm at. And I was married at the time, and my wife hits me up. She's like, where are you at? I'm like, we're at some place called the Stanton Social. And she's like, you son of a bitch. And I'm like, what? And she's like, that's Chris Santos's place. And I can't believe you went there without me. And I'm like, who's Chris Santos? And what are you talking about? Because I wasn't into food at that point in my life. I had not yet sampled good food. So that night was an experience for me. Meeting you and, and like getting introduced to good food was kind of changed my life. No, it's amazing. Well, yeah, you've and you've certainly like you you're very educated about food now and you've also changed your diet somewhat over the years, but by the way, Matt, you, you we didn't talk about this. Not only is Paul a, a celebrated tattoo artist, but he's a triathlete, right? I am. I've done Ironman distance like John Joseph's and him and I, you know, bond and talk about the uh, triathlon stuff as much as I grew up listening to John's music. And I'm a huge, still a huge fan of like the Cro-Mags, you know, the Age of Coral album, which is I still kind of I hold them as having one album. I know they've had others. Well, you know, what's funny. They recorded the Age of Coral in Warren, Rhode Island, which is I grew up in Bristol, Rhode Island. It's the next town over. My brother, Jay, at the time when they recorded that that record, had a record store um, around the corner. But they also sold, you know, guitars and strings and whatever. So during the recording of that, Harley would go over every day and ended up like talking to my brother for an hour or two each day. They didn't, they didn't stay connected, but while they were recording the record, like he'd taken Harley would take an hour or two break each day and go hang out with my brother at his record store, which is just crazy. My, my brother's not a metalhead or a punk guy at all. So ridiculous. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, especially that because I know your brother. <laughs> it's like, right, right. That's a cool story. That's like, um, since I'm just going to get into it when I was working at sunset and I started tattooing Josh Todd and the guys from Buck Cherry, like they were recording time bomb and they were at sunset sound, which is on sunset Boulevard. So I would ride my motorcycle from my house in Pasadena over to sunset sound every day at three o'clock. Josh and I would play basketball on the outdoor basketball court they had. And Keith would sit and smoke cigarettes and watch us play. And one day, 
Um, I the ball bounces over towards Keith, and he grabs it. I'm like, all right, come on, give me the ball. I'm about to I'm about to show Josh what's up. You know, laughing and 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 just poking fun. And Keith's like, what are you doing tomorrow at three? I go, I don't know, probably the same thing I do every day, coming over here, playing ball with Josh, and then heading in the tattoo. And he says to me, can we, uh, can you be here after that? And I go, for what? And he goes, we want you to record on our album. And I was like, you're funny. And he goes, no, we want you to do vocals. And I started laughing. I go, um, I don't know if you know this, but I don't sing, I tattoo. And he goes, doesn't matter. We want you to be on the album. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So for me, like I was a fan of Buck Cherry. Not only was I friends with them, but like a fan. So I recorded two songs just in the background vocals for Time Bomb that I still, I can hear myself in the vocals, you know, nobody else can, but I can hear it. And I still like, I still love that to this day that I'm on that album. It's pretty cool. That's so funny. I have that record and I'm going to have to go back and listen to it now and see if I can hear you. Yeah, it's so great. And Yogi, who was their guitar, their other guitar player at the time, I was paired up on a mic with Yogi. So we all walked into the studio. Now, I had been behind the glass forever, like sitting there, like watching them record at the at the booth with their engineer and their producer. But I'd never walked behind the glass and been in the studio. So we go in the studio and everyone picks up their headphones. So I pick up my headphones and everyone puts them on and I put them on and the music cues and I go, wait, 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 wait. What are the lyrics? And everybody starts laughing and they're like, oh my God. So Josh is like, give me a Sharpie and a pad of, pen, a pad of paper. So he grabs a legal pad, writes down the lyrics, slams them in front of me. And I don't even know how this is supposed to go or how it's supposed to go down. So I just kind of ad lib it and go with it. And then Yogi, like we do one take and Yogi goes, dude, you sound pretty good. And I go, stop. He goes, no, what is it with like you skinny tattooed white boys? He goes, sing that by yourself. I go, no way. I'm not singing in a room with Josh Todd and all of you guys. Like, I'm not doing that. He goes, I'll sing with you. And I'm like, okay. So they cue the music. And of course, the one person that starts singing is me. And of course, Yogi had it set up in the beginning. So he wasn't going to sing. And they're all in tears laughing. And they got me. It was good. But that's still one of my like fondest memories of being on the album Time Bomb. Well, you know what's funny is, you know, I, I'm I'm a big metal fan. I'm a, I'm a multi-genre metal fan. But um, something that people might not know about me is that Josh Todd it truly is one of my top five favorite vocalists of all time. Um, his voice is just so unique. And his solo record that he did way back in the day is still my favorite Josh Todd release. So good. Not because I don't like Buck Cherry, but just because it's so much heavier than Buck Cherry. Flowers and Cages. Yeah, dude, fucking that fucking record is amazing. Amazing. But uh, so, yeah, so I love Josh Todd. Um, and I have to ask, did you do the big fucking giant tattoo on his back? No, Kevin Quinn did that. You know, Josh Todd's been like an L.A. boy forever. I think it was Slamhound was his first band or one of the first big ones kind of a thing. Josh was like heavy into the music scene and doing all that stuff. And he's been around and in and out and getting tattooed. So he's, he's had a good assortment of people. And I kind of got him at, at like a great point in his life when they kind of hit it. And I got to tattoo him. And people were like, dude, you tattooed the guy from Buck Cherry? And I'm just like, 
Yeah. And I'm like, but I'm also not the only one, you know, he's got his whole back piece done by Kevin Quinn. Kevin Quinn did the majority of Josh's work and Kevin Quinn, ironically enough, used to work at Sunset Strip Tattoo. So got it's it. the same style of tattooing that Kevin was doing that I'm doing. Kevin's actually been tattooing him again recently. Um, and those guys are still back out on the road after all these years, those guys are still like they're like 300 days on the year or more. They're well, they just released a record or they have a record um, coming out any minute now. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, I think it got released. What's the date today? It's the 21st. I think it comes out today, to be honest with you. No, the records come out on Friday. So it's probably Friday. Friday. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look right now. I can tell you right now. But I remember, didn't you tell me, I think you can relay this story. I know that there are stories that you have that you can't relay and, because of the confidentiality of them. But didn't you have a fun story about kind of being on call as Tommy Lee's tattoo artist? So actually the first celebrity I ever tattooed at Sunset was Jason Bonham. Oh, wow. Growing up, you know, obviously Zeppelin, man. It's like John Bonham, Jason Bonham. And I was like, are you kidding me? And they're like, yep, it's yours. You're up. And I'm like, I'm going to tattoo Jason Bonham. And they're like, yep, do what he wants. Now, he was hammered. He was absolutely plastered. And one of the guys in the back was like, look, man, like this is how some of these guys come in here. You just got to do the best you can, get them in, get them out, do a good tattoo and send them on his way. And I'm just like, okay, easier said than done for a small town boy from Ohio that moves to Los Angeles, you know? He was literally falling out of the tattoo chair. I'm not exaggerating. When I was trying to put on the Zoso circles on his arm. And as you know, What's the hardest thing to tattoo on anybody's body? Perfect circles. It was an absolute nightmare of a tattoo, but a great experience that the first guy I got to tattoo was Jason Bonham at Sunset Strip Tattoo. And we bonded on riding dirt bikes and, you know, talking about that stuff. I didn't really talk to him about music too much. We talked more about motorcycles, which is how Josh and I kind of bonded too. As far as Tommy goes, I'll never forget that. That was... Um, that was, I mean, I'll, I'll cherish that to the day I die. So I was working. It was a um, Saturday afternoon. Tommy calls the shop and he's like, hey, man, it's Tommy Lee. I'm like, hey, Tommy. And he goes, uh, is Greg in? I said, no, he is off for today. Can I help you? And he goes, no, this is, this is Tommy. Who's this? And I go, well, it's, it's Paul. He goes, hey, man, have I met you? And I go, no. He goes, cool. He goes, can I get Greg's number? And I go, absolutely. I said, I'm, I'm the new guy at the shop, but I know you guys are buds, so I'll, I'll give you a cell and you can contact him. So go about my business. 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, the phone rings again, and it's Tommy. And he's like, hey, man, it's Tommy. And I go, what's up? He goes, well, Greg hasn't responded. And I go, oh, shit. He's actually in Santa Barbara. I forgot. He went to Santa Barbara for the weekend. So he's probably away from his phone. Tommy goes, well, shit, man. I got me and a friend that want to get tattooed up at my house. Can you come up and do it? I said, I can. I get off work at five. I'd have to go home to Pasadena, grab my travel kit and head to you. Where do you live? And he's like, I'm up in Malibu. And I go, if that's cool with you time-wise, he's like, absolutely. He's like, here's my home number. Give me a buzz when you're on your way. So I'm sitting there like, same thing. Small town boy from Ohio. Got to be going to Tommy Lee's house in Malibu. How old are you at this point? I was probably 23, right, maybe okay. maybe 24, you know, like 22 to 24. Right. Like still, still green, dude. Still very green. Still not like, 
jaded by LA. Matt Bacon age. Yeah. <laughs> 25 now, Chris. Okay. I'm, I'm okay. Okay. I've got like this whole uncle Matt persona. I'm breaking out. By the way, I love that every episode we somehow get to fucking fuck with Matt and how he's a baby. That's funny. Or that I'm an old man. It's one or the other. It goes either way. If I say you're an old man, I feel bad. It's like, yeah, I, get it. I get it. I get it. How old are you? 70. 50. <laughs> you. Uh, I'm 50. I'm right behind you. I'm right behind. You. Anyway, so go ahead. Fin- finish the story because I want to ask you about your triathlon shit. So finish okay. the story. And then so we'll go back I, to the office. I head up to Tommy's house. I'm at the address. And of course, there's a huge gate and you can see these lighted, this lit house behind it. And I'm thinking, holy shit, this is the Mecca. Like, this is the mother load. I hit the buzzer, and which is new to me, you know, where I'm from. You walk up to somebody's door and, hi, I'm here right. for so-and-so. You know, there's right. a gate and a buzzer. I, I hit the buzzer and they're like, who is it? And and he knew me by my nickname. And I'm like, it's it's Peely. And he's like, oh, hey, Peely, come on in. And of course, there's this, eh, and then this gate proceeds to open. And as the gate opens, I mean, my face, it must have been priceless. This is the Malibu house that you saw on MTV Cribs, him and Pamela had their kids, um, raised a family, which as they sold it later, when he sold it, it actually turned into a rehab house, which ironically enough (laughs) is quite the difference from when they were there. But um, I go in, we end up tattooing. This is right after he got out of prison. So like he got released, he's doing Methods of Mayhem. So I'm there with Tilo. And I'm there with Hawk, who was Tommy's security guard, which you probably have met throughout the years. Yeah. Uh, and I actually just spoke to Hawk like two days ago. I was on the Methods of Mayhem tour bus at a OzFest one year. There you go. I'm not sure how I got on there, and I'm not sure what happened when I was on there, but I just remember that I got that to happen. <laughs> Did you meet Tommy, or were you just on? Oh, yeah. No, I was on the bus with him. Yeah, 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 yeah. So great. So I go in, I tattoo Tilo. I tattoo this big free to bet across his forearms. And then Tommy's like, well, well, fuck dude, we got to roll down to Long Beach. I'm sitting in on drums with Cottonmouth Kings tonight for the ASR trade show wrap up. Do you want to, do you want to roll with us? And, and I'm like, Are, you're kidding, right? He's like, no, just roll with us. So we roll down to the ASR closeout trade show. We get whooshed right in. We literally pulled his Suburban up in the middle of the parking lot and just stopped and got out. And I'm thinking, is that how you get treated as you're a celebrity? Like, this is insane. We roll right in. We get pushed up on stage. Tommy sits in on drums, does his thing. And he's like, come on, we're out. Like, we rolled out of there. We go jumping into the Suburban. Hawk is driving. Tommy's shotgun. Me and Diane are in the back seat, and Tilo is off talking to some girls. There's a cop that's talking to Hawk, and he's like, is there any reason why you decided to park this car like this? Tilo comes running in from the outside, jumps all the way through the Suburban. His head is out the front window, and he's like, because we're motherfucking methods of mayhem, motherfuckers, and we fuck shit up. Hawk pushes him in the back seat, punches him in the chest, points in his face and goes, don't say another fucking word, turns back without missing a cue. And he looks at the cop and he goes, I'm sorry, you were saying officer. And I see Tommy in the front seat, like take a gulp. You can see his Adam's apple move. And the cop looks at Tommy and goes, I can be the cop that sends you back to jail tonight. 
get this fucking suburban out of my city and I don't ever want to see it back in here as long as you live. And Tommy just goes, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. And Hawk just puts the window up and drives away. I was like, what the fuck just happened? I Now, this is before TMZ. This is how long ago this was. This is when the National Enquirer was still around. So all I'm picturing is me on the cover of the National Enquirer in handcuffs, sitting next to Tommy Lee, and my mother calling me going, what are you doing getting arrested with all this riffraff? What are you doing? Like, that's all I pictured is my family back home going, that's my brother. That's my cousin. It was crazy. So let's take it back a beat before we get into the triathlon stuff, which I do want to hit because I think it's so incredibly impressive. But when did your interest in tattoos and, and being a, ta- you know, a tattooer or a tattoo artist, whatever you want, do you consider yourself a tattooer or a tattoo artist? Yeah, there's that debate. And I just, I call myself whatever it is. I call myself a tattooist, a tattoo artist, a tattooer, whatever. It's just, I, I go with the flow. How is the Paul Timmon of today? Like, what was the genesis of that? I got into Cleveland Institute of Art after the year I graduated high school in 1990, um, which is probably before Matt was born. It was. By the way, Matt, by the way, by the way, big ups to Matt. These last couple of podcasts we've been doing, he's in England. So it's like fucking two o'clock in the morning there or some shit. Yes. Wow. Well, yes. Uh, kudos to you. All good. Just to make just to make you feel a little bit worse about about delaying in the podcast today. <laughs> sorry. My next phone call is in uh, six hours, Paul. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's only five o'clock here. So. <laughs> well, so I went to the Cleveland Institute of Art. I got in there and I was drawing and painting and doing everything. And I. But you went there for why? Because you wanted to do what? I was going to be a fine artist. And then I started getting into tattooing. And, and when I say tattooing, I started getting tattooed. So uh, my love for tattoos, uh, a buddy of mine in art school had some tattoo equipment in his apartment. So my best friend to this day and my roommate at the time was getting a shoulder piece done. And, and my buddy Josh outlined it. And he goes, hey, do you want to do some? And I'm like, absolutely. Like I filled some in. And that night, walking back to our apartment, I'll never forget it. I said to him, I'm like, I'm, this, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tattoo. He's like, are you kidding? I go, no. Like, I'm going to full speed tattoo 100%. This is, I know this is what I want to do. And it just hit me. And I never looked back. I actually dropped out of Cleveland Institute of Art after my third year. And it was a five-year program. And I started tattooing on my own, got into a shop in Toledo, spent a little bit of time there and then I, I headed west like I came out to tattoo with the big dogs like I figured if I'm gonna do it I want to do it a hundred percent and years later as I got some fame and notoriety through tattooing and through like my dinnerware the Cleveland Institute of Art now claims me as a graduate of CIA which is great so I can use that that I graduated <laughs> that's amazing so a couple of questions so um... Why L.A. as opposed to, say, New York? That's a good question. I think the sunshine. I think the beaches. I think I just kind of vibed with Los Angeles more than I did. Plus, I had came out to Los Angeles to visit a girl in San Diego. We drove up to Los Angeles. I actually visited Sunset Strip Tattoo, Tattoo Mania, Purple Panther, Black Wave. I hit all the big names. And when I was in Sunset Strip Tattoo, I met a guy who sort of offered me a job because he was going to leave that tattoo shop and go up on his own. And he made me a job offer. 
but he never got his shop up and running. So I came out before he got his going and he felt bad about me being out here on my own that he kind of got me into Sunset Strip tattoo anyway. So it worked out great. And what year was that that you started at Sunset Strip? It's been 27 years. I, I don't know. I'd have to do the math. Probably 28 years now. Yeah, I think 28 years. So before we go from where you are now and 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 how long you are at Sunset Strip and, and why you left and all that stuff, I have a just a question I need answered. I ask all my tattoo artist friends this because I'm truly intrigued by it. How do you find your touch? How do you tattoo someone and not go too hard or not hard enough? And also, you know, in terms of getting the work done correctly so that the lines are fine and the colors are vibrant without causing someone to bleed excessively or whatever. Like, how do you find that touch? Like a canvas is one thing, but a fucking human being is another thing. Like, how do you find that? Ironically enough, that is done through a couple of things. And some people do it without knowing they do it. And other people do it 100% with intent. And I was fortunate enough to learn from Sunset Strip Tattoo where it was done with intent. So the sound of that machine, when it does this, and it bogs, that's when you know you're in, as we call it, the sweet spot. So these new tattoo machines that don't have any sound, that literally look like dildos, which, you know, hey, more power to you if that's how you want to tattoo and if that's what kind of machines you want to use, but they don't have any sound and you don't know if you're in the sweet spot. And there's a reason why machines have stall set up that only what's sad now is I would probably say 10% of the tattoo community know about stall in a machine. And that's the term it's called because all the young kids, Matt's age, don't know anything <laughs> about that. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. And they're not familiar with it because they haven't put the time in to talk to somebody who is more schooled or more knowledgeable and could teach them that stuff because they think they know enough to go out on their own and open their own shop and they think they got it and they don't. And that's the problem. It's funny you so say that because that's always something that's bothered me about young people and like people under 33 and tattoos is like, I feel like the tattoo culture I grew up in was completely different than the one you guys grew up in. It is. And I, I feel like part of what makes tattooing interesting to me is a sense of culture and heritage and, you know, and all these styles and yada, yada. And the way it's sort of been co-opted feels that like normal people have hand tattoos now feels very strange to me. Oh my God. If so, if one more person sends me the, like, there's like a meme going around that's like, you know, having tattoos used to used to mean that you're a biker that, and that's about to kill you. Now it means you make a lovely, you know, pork <laughs> tenderloin with a yeah. fucking like if one more person sends me that thing, I'm like, oh my God. But so let me ask you this. I'm getting a little bit off track, but the new machines that you talk about that don't emit noise, what is the advantage then? Like what's the what's the what is the advantage in technology or why is it bet why is it perceived like I don't know. I don't know. What, I guess so what I'm asking is why are why is the machinery theoretically better in 2021 than it was in 2001? So it's not actually better. It's just different. And that's the thing. If it's not doing anything better than the other stuff, what's the point? Now, the one thing that I have heard people say is it's lighter. It's lightweight. 
But I don't think tattoo machines weigh that much anyways. And if you have a problem picking up a tattoo machine, then I don't know. I mean, if you can't you move a tattoo machine around, I mean, for lack of a better word or for lack of a better phrase, then I mean, it's like, I, I don't know what the fuck you would do in life. You know, I mean, really, like, it's, it's not the size of a hammer. It's not the size of, um, Christ, it probably weighs less than a pair of boxing gloves, to be honest with you, you know? And it's not like you're sitting there swinging them around. So I don't understand where these people are like, well, the tattoo machines, you know, the regular coil style, they're too heavy for me. I'm just like, I'm sorry. What? What? Like, it's crazy to me. So I've never physically touched one of the new ones, but that's the only thing I hear is that they're lighter. So great. I guess they're more lightweight. I don't know. All right. Triathloning. How does that start? Where are you at with it? Etc. I mean, I ran a 5k and I was like so ecstatic that I was able to finish it in 35 minutes. <laughs> like, and I was very excited. I remember when you ran that 5k, I was actually super pumped for you. I was watching your journey to be honest with you, whether you knew it or not, I was watching your, your runs and talking to you a little bit here and there, but I was monitoring you because I'm, I'm very avid about that. Whenever I see any of my friends or clients or anybody that pick up exercise i get very excited about it i've always had a challenge in my life and i've always had mountains to climb so my first challenge was tattooing and then i moved to los angeles and wanted to be one of the best and so i started climbing that mountain and then i got into super bike racing i was racing motorcycles for a while and i was doing that professionally for a little bit but that got to be really expensive and really dangerous and then i got married and i had a kid and my wife was like hey you know we have a kid it's probably not the best thing for you to be out there running around racing bikes. And I said, okay. So I hung up my hat from racing and I just always was drawn to the Ironman for some reason. Maybe it's that challenge. Maybe it's like that badass thing about it, but it always appealed to me. And I don't know why I never swam like Michael Phelps style as a kid. I mean, I was in a pool swimming, but I never swam laps. And I never was on a road bike that you would actually ride a bike for a triathlon. I grew up on BMX and skateboards. So when I told everybody I wanted to do an Ironman, everyone laughed at me. And I'm talking my family, my friends, but I just slowly started at it. And I found a love in it. I've been going strong for probably 15 or more years now. How many, how many triathlons have you done? I mean, I've done so many that I've got medals throughout all of my career of doing them that the medals that were hanging in my son's room about two months ago they crashed off the wall because the weight wasn't, it was too strong. So my son the other day, we kind of put them all in a bag so I can hang them up in my bedroom. And, I, and he's like, dad, can you get all your medals out of my room now? And I started laughing. I'm like, yeah. Wait, so just, just remind me and everyone that's listening and Matt, what is a triathlon? A triathlon varies in length, uh, but it starts off as a swim and it goes to a bike and then it goes to a run. So most People start off with a sprint triathlon, which is about 500 yards. Then it's usually maybe a 10-mile bike and the 5K run. Then there's an Olympic, which is a 1,500-meter swim, uh, a 25-mile bike, and followed by a 10K run. Then you have a half Ironman, which is a 1.2-mile swim, 56 miles on the bike, and a 13.1-mile run. Then you go full Ironman. 2.4 mile swim, 112 on the bike, and a marathon to wrap up the, to run. You've done the Ironman, yeah? I've done one so far. I'm planning on doing another one next year. I've done a lot of half Ironmans. I'm really close. I'm a very competitive person. 
and I'm really close to qualifying for world championships. So I've been focusing at hitting world champs and going to wherever the world champs are for whatever that year is. That's incredible to me. I mean, that what a grueling. How long does it take you to do an Ironman? An Ironman took me 10 and a half hours. Most people will take oh. them 12 to 16 hours. It's a full day. It's nonstop. And then when you go to Kona, the big, they call it the big dance. When you qualify and go to Kona, there's a cutoff. It's 17 hours. There have been people in the past that I watched it live. They missed qualifying or they missed the cutoff by two seconds or four seconds. Yeah. So they do not get a medal. They do not get called. You are an Ironman because they missed it by four seconds after 17 hours. Can you imagine? Oh my God. So is that your goal? Is your goal to, is, I mean, is there an age limit on these things? No, there's right? no age limit, but my goal is to get to Kona. Uh, one day I will get to Kona and, and COVID like everything threw a wrench and everything for everybody. I was going good and training and COVID hit and there was no more races. Um, and how do you train? How do you train? Do you, is there, do you have swimming days, biking days, running days? Like how do you train? I do all three of those. Exactly. And I vary it. And it depends on, you know, where I'm at. My run is my strength. Like, as you know, you said, you'll hit a, uh, what'd you say? A 5k in 35 minutes. Well, that was the only one I did, but that's what I did. Yeah. Okay. So my 5 Ks, like I'm looking at like a 19 minute 5 K kind of. Yeah, that's thing. great. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Like I knocked down some fat. I'm a fat ones. fuck. You're a skinny little guy. <laughs> What's your marathon time? After... Well, technically I've never done a full marathon by itself outside. Of the that's marathon. what my question was going to be was what's the difference. So and it's a big difference uh, yeah. because my half marathon pace is i can probably do like a an hour and 25 minutes for a half marathon so i should right be at that's three, really good i should be at a three hour marathon yeah all right so in the interest of kind of winding this down a little bit let's talk about where you're at now you've left sunset strip tattoo there was a pandemic the pandemic is kind of over maybe not over maybe starting all over again we're not really sure but the but the big news is that after you know two and a half decades at sunset strip um i'll tell you i'll tell you something i've never told you before i'm i was so naive when i met you and you were so larger than life to me that i actually took me a while to figure out that you didn't own sunset strip tattoo i thought you actually owned it for some time and then uh, along the way i realized that you didn't own it but anyway so you've left there um in the winding down moments that we have like you know tell tell everyone you know what you're doing where you're doing it why you left sunset strip um, where they can find you on the on, on the socials, how they can get an appointment with you, that kind of shit. I sort of technically didn't leave Sunset Strip. We just kind of moved it and it sort of rebranded as Sunset Tattoo because we're technically not on the strip. We had to close the old location because like anything in this world, the big money is coming in and they're buying all the little places and they're knocking them down and putting condos with commercial real estate down below. So we had to move the location. So that was basically what we did. So we moved the location. We are up on Hollywood Boulevard, right near Hollywood in the 101. We are at 5638 Hollywood Boulevard. Technically it's now called Sunset Tattoo. And we still have the same stuff from the shop. We brought it all over. It's all the same. And we are still technically Sunset Strip Tattoo on Instagram because we're keeping that just to kind of keep it because it's so iconic. And everything is still status quo. So we basically moved up to Hollywood Boulevard. The shop is mine now. Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate that. I didn't realize how much of a big deal that was until I became the owner. Like I never really grasped at that until it really was, you know, basically 
punched me in the nose and was like, well, you're now the owner. This is now your spot. Um, so it is a big deal. It's a lot of uh, responsibility, but it's also a really great feeling at this point in my life. Sunset strip tattoo still on the socials? On the socials, yeah. And then mine is just Paul Timmon, T-I-M-M-A-N on Instagram. Um, they can get a hold of us through calling the shop. They can get a hold of us through DMing us through the socials, through either mine or the actual shop, um, any of those. And we're, we're around, we're there, we're, we're, we're back at it. We had to close down like everyone through the pandemic. And now we are, we're back because we're a little short staff like everybody. So we're just trying to, to deal with it. I hear that. Why is your nickname Peewee? I got named Peewee out in front of the dorm when I was skateboarding doing the Peewee. German dance in college and it just stuck oh jesus all right that's much that's not as cool as i thought it was going to be i know for listeners all of the ways to contact paul and sunset strip tattoos are in the show notes yep cool awesome i just wanted to ask about the dishware because that's like very strange how does something like not just how did that come about but how did it feel to be like oh cool i design plates now because that must have been weird as like a rock and roll tattoo guy well, it was, but also because I'm a classically trained artist. So um, it's one of those things that I see the design in everything. For example, when I walk into one of Chris's restaurants and the flooring tiles match the upholstery and then the stuff on the walls and the way they do their bathrooms and the little touches to things like that, I pick up on and I love it. And I get inspiration from looking at women's dresses when I see some flowers on a woman's dress, right? So other people may or may not notice that and not care, but I see that stuff. So I was approached by a company that um, was originally out of England and the daughter of the uh, mother who started the company from England moved to the States because she met a man and they wanted to open their own line here in the States. So they wanted to do this thing that everyone was going to be edgy with. And they thought tattoos, and this is how far back it goes. This is probably, I don't know, 2010, maybe even before that. And, um, you know, tattooing was just so big, they wanted to do it. So they approached me, they ended up talking to me, and they ended up going with somebody else, but it never worked out. And it was this guy in England, and he didn't really do the artwork. So they came back to me with hat in hand. And it worked out great. And I told them, I said, look, I'm willing to do it on one condition is that we do it and we do it really well. And we make these really great. And you might have to make the price a little more by doing that. Um, and they agreed. And, and I thought what we came up with and what we did was pretty great. So we did a couple different sets. I think Chris has one or two. We did one I set. Two. Which, I have two. Yeah. So we did the Irizumi, which is based off the Japanese thing, which is what, what I love tattooing. And I did a dragon on the plates and then there's a koi fish on the bowls and cherry blossoms. And then I did a cherry blossom branch style for another set. But those are the two I have, yeah. Yep, and those were the two that really kind of hit it out of the park, I think. I did a tribal set that other people love. And then I did a sort of more of a floral set that, that other people did tend to like. Um, but unfortunately, Ink Dish closed down over the last few years just because of the pandemic and because things going a different way. And so they're not doing it anymore. So those dishes aren't available anymore, Chris. So hang on to those because I hope they're going to be what about the What about the Ink Dish trademark? Is that yours or theirs? No, that's theirs. Um, and I'm still friends with them. They're still great people. Like if I decided to pick up with that and maybe do some more, I'm sure they'd be like, sure, here's our thing. And, you know, we can work something well, you know, out. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm launching 
as Matt knows, um, and everyone out there listening, pay attention. Um, I'm launching a uh, a pretty big um, website called thisischrisantos.com. It's actually available right now, but don't go to it right now because it's not really active. But I'm opening a store where I'll be selling everything from my cookbooks and my hot sauce and my barbecue sauce and my LES NYC hats, uh, merch from the bands on my record label, um, and and uh, meet and greet, virtual meet and greets and all that stuff. Um, you know, if if you're free and and available, I would love to collaborate on doing some dish rare with you. That would be Absolutely. amazing. Absolutely. That'd be great. Yeah. Maybe we'll call it think dish. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> So, okay, we're going to we're going to end this. I think we might have to have you on in the future because I know that you have a lot more stories about about your rock and roll endeavors. But um, and also I have to call you on the side so we can set up an appointment. But um, we're doing this thing that I'm insisting on doing now called Guilty Pleasures. It's how we wrap up the podcast. I probably won't set it up like this forever, but or maybe I will just so you understand. But Monty Pittman is a good friend of mine. He was a guest of ours. He was Madonna's guitar player for the last two decades and he had a song called guilty pleasures that he filmed the music video at beauty in essex so i asked him what his guilty pleasure was when he recorded his podcast and i got we both got a very surprising answer and that his guilty pleasure was um instagram cat wrestling videos which is as bizarre as it sounds so i am now challenging myself and matt Oh, uh, although I don't know, Matt knows that the challenge is there, but I'm challenging myself that every podcast, I find a new guilty pleasure to reveal to everyone. So I'm going to start. Fourth of July just passed, and I realized that a guilty pleasure of mine as a card-carrying uh, metalhead who is uh, the head of his own heavy metal record label, I'm totally enamored and in love with the song Firework by Katy Perry. Great song. So that's my... That is my guilty pleasure for this week's episode. I didn't have a guilty pleasure prepared. Okay, here's my guilty pleasure. This is a good one. You don't know this about me. (laughs) Okay. One of my favorite things that I work on that brings me endless joy. And the thing my father is proudest of is I do the marketing for Flock of Seagulls merch in the USA. Get out of here. (laughs) And I'm like an admin on the Flock of Seagulls socials and shit. Oh my God. I ran, I mean, I ran so far away. And and like, it makes me so happy because I don't know. I just, I get such a pleasure because yeah, it's the, I ran so far away band. And every time I like write an email for them or like make a post, I'm just like, what the fuck? It's funny. They're playing a show. I just saw that they're playing a show here. It's like, you know, like it's like this eighties thing and they're the headliner. And I was actually like, I love Flock of Seagulls. Like I should maybe. I mean, if you want it, like I could probably hook that up. <laughs> so that's like my weird guilty pleasure. Space Age love song is like, I'm going to play that at my wedding. Like that's, that song is amazing. It's a banger. I do love Flock of Seagulls and they are, I don't know if they're going to be, you know, they got that whole 80s thing going on at the Rose Bowl in 2022. Have you seen everybody that's headlining that? No, I have. That's fucking bizarre. So it's Morrissey. Bauhaus, The Dam, Missing Persons, Peter Murphy, Gene Loves Jezebel. Uh, it's it's as 80s as you can get. Is The Cure on it? They're not. And I don't know. The, the only two missing are like The Cure and Depeche Mode. Well, they did that so no one would cry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> missing Persons. <laughs> Walking in L.A. I actually now understand the meaning of that song. Now that right. I live in L.A. I have written, because I also do Missing Persons, I have written a bizarre amount of Walking in L.A. puns for advertisements. Oh, my God. So great. All right. 
So that's my guilty pleasure, new wave. My guilty pleasure, because I train and work out so much, I can pretty much eat like uh, between a quart and a pint of ice cream a night, uh, sitting in my bed in my underwear watching Netflix. A quart? Yeah, like I can eat a lot of ice cream and I put it back. Lately, my guilty pleasure has been like this Dutch chocolate from um, like Tillanook or something like that. Yeah, Tillamook Farms, yeah. Yeah, I was doing the Ben and Jerry's uh, caramel, the cold brew caramel latte. That's really good. Um, and then I also love that Baskin Robbins. They got that dark cherry one, like Cherry's Jubilee or something like that. You got to go Hagen dazs chocolate peanut butter. That's the move. I don't know. That sounds so rich. I think Chris is right on this one. This is why my body looks the way mine does and yours looks the way yours does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then I will take you up on that. I will break out some chocolate peanut butter Hagen dazs I will try that. I just want to point this out, Paul, because you said you follow people's fitness journeys. Chris lost a ton of weight between the two times I, like I last saw him in September of 2020 and then I saw him a month ago and he lost, like, I was very impressed. I was, I have lost, I've lost weight, I've gained muscle, but I still got a, I've got a long way to go, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Good. I don't know what time it is in London, but Matt looks tired based on what I'm looking at in my computer screen here. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, really a pleasure having you here. We will let you know when this is airing so you can put it out on your socials or whatever. And uh, I hope, to, I, I'm sure I will see you soon. And uh, yeah, thanks so much, man. It was really, really great swapping stories. Thank you, you guys. It was great. We'll catch everyone next week. Yes. Uh, if Guys, if you, whoever's out there listening, if you're enjoying this podcast, continue to watch it and tell your friends about it because the guest list that uh, that we are developing for future episodes is out of control. It's going to be a fun, fun summer, fall, and winter of Delirious Nomad podcast. So tell everybody. Until then, see you next week. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pays and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2Z. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.